Today's sermon title and outline, as you can see on your screen, say, Don't Believe, Discriminate. And if that sounds unbiblical to you, it'll become clear soon as we get into the context of the passage. The world seems to be willing to believe anything and everything, even the obviously absurd, even two contradictory things at the same time. And the world will tell you that discrimination is always a bad word, even though it isn't, and that you should never practice it. But the Bible clearly tells us that many things should not be believed. And frankly, anyone who doesn't practice discrimination all day, every day, would not likely live to see another day. Those who tell you that judgment and discrimination are evil are hypocrites. Just think how important it is to discriminate between a red light and a green light, or between the step off your front porch and the first step off the edge of the Grand Canyon. Or as you get on a plane, whether a toddler or a trained, experienced pilot is the best one to be piloting that plane. You're discriminating. Don't let anyone tell you that they don't discriminate. That's absurd. False Christianity, worldly Christianity, I'll put that in quotes, is all around us and statistically is the far more common, sadly. And it's on the rise and becoming more militant and more like the world, setting itself against Christ's true church. John writes these words to you as he did to the original audience. He writes them to you now just as much as them, perhaps even more so. The deceptions and temptations of false Christian faith are a real and dangerous threat to true faith. If ever we needed the reminder, it's today, as so many professing the name of Christ are going out from us, abandoning the faith, and even joining the world to condemn the faithful. This wasn't just a concern for John, even well before John. It was a major concern for the Apostle Paul. And his words to Timothy frame our subject today perfectly, reminding us just how essential it is to be able to tell the difference. 1 Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceitful spirits and demonic lies are hard at work to produce exactly that result. And they're rampant, and they're extremely effective upon those who don't know any better. Beyond that, we are vastly outnumbered. To combat this, John offers us these words, words of teaching, of warning, and of encouragement. First John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, that's you, do not believe every spirit, but tests, test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world hears them. We are from God. The one who knows God hears us. The one who is not from God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Before we jump into the text, let's first make sure that we're properly connecting chapter 4, all of chapter 4, to the flow of thought here. If you were here and you remember uh, before, we focused on the end of chapter 3, specifically verses 21 through 24. And the question, how do we know whether we are in Christ? And true to John's form, he gave us some tests and some black and white contrasts to help us discern the difference between genuine believers and merely deceived professors. Then he concludes with a two-part command and the assurance that if you practice these, then you can be sure you are in Christ and the Spirit of Christ is in you. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he gave a commandment to us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gave us. There are two verbs in the command here, believe and love. But that's not all we need to know. Both of those verbs have definite objects. The commands aren't simply believe and love. If they were, it would include believing and loving everything indiscriminately, whether it was good or evil. And sadly, many professing Christians are indiscriminate about the objects of these commands. And they seemingly don't care what the objects are. Just believe You've heard that. You've seen it on bumper stickers. You've seen it on cute little painted signs in homes. Love everything and don't judge. But the command connects the Christian's belief and love to their specific objects. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Love one another. Jesus Christ is one person, excluding all others. And one another specifically means here, your brothers and sisters in Christ. The world isn't even in view here. So chapter 4. Chapter 4 is basically expanding upon both of those commands. Verses 1 through 6 that we're going to look at today 
are about discerning the Holy Spirit's influence from other spirits. And then verses 7 through 21, the rest of the chapter, delve deeper into the meaning of, Beloved, let us love one another, as verse 7 begins. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Another two-part command, a negative do not, and a contrasting positive do, and a reason. Because if we're only to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, according to verse 23, how critical is it that we don't believe spirits that deny and defy Him? Yes, Scripture commands you, do not believe. Instead, first, test. Well, what does it mean to test the spirits? Well, first, let's make sure we understand what it doesn't mean, because this is out there. What it doesn't mean is to confront and ask demons questions. I advise you leave that to Jesus. Some groups who think that we should practice demon hunting may use this passage to back up their practices, but that's not at all what this is talking about. The verb here for test is present imperative. Don't worry so much about that. It's the present imperative form of the verb dokimazo, which means, this is the important part, to make a critical examination of something to determine genuineness. Like if you're testing gold to make sure it's the real thing. To put to test, to examine, to draw a conclusion about worth on the basis of testing. Now, the important thing about the present tense is that this also tells us that we're supposed to be doing this continually as we go. In other words, be testing. This is an everyday practice for Christians. Why? Because there are many false spirits in the form of prophets, meaning those who are claiming to speak truth on God's behalf. And they're competing against the Holy Spirit for your faith, that you would put your trust in someone else. And if they can get you to believe in another spirit, another Savior, then they have served their master well, and they have drawn your faith away from Jesus Christ, the only Savior, in whom you are to believe. And if they succeed, you become one who has fallen away from the faith. You've heard them. They might contradict contradict God's word in some of these ways. You don't have a sin problem. Your lack of repentance doesn't make you an enemy of God. You don't need to put your faith in Jesus' atonement for your sin. Jesus isn't the only way. You don't need to bother yourself with obedience. God doesn't care about that. God is love, and He accepts everyone just the way they are. 
So many have fallen to such lies. That's why you're commanded, do not believe. You're also commanded, discriminate. Verse 2 tells us how. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Simple test. The spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is from God and came in the flesh is a spirit in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. It's interesting. John identifies this as the primary biblical doctrine to be tested. What does the Spirit say about Jesus Christ? Does it agree with all that Jesus has said about himself as revealed in Scripture? Now, you might ask a question that I asked, admittedly, when I was a young believer, and I read this for the first time. I thought, is that it? Are these magic words? If somebody simply utters the words, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, does that really mean that they are from God, regardless of how they live or what else they believe or what else they teach? And the answer is no. And one of the ways we know that is by the word confess. In the English, you can't figure this out, but confess in the Greek is the word homologē from homologeo, which means to say the same thing. But it's more than just a mere physical performance of the lips and the tongue. Homologeo implies speaking what is truly in the heart and mind. And what's in the heart and mind are connected to what is said. Theologian Robert L. Thomas who I go to regularly for his Greek exposition of 1 John, describes it here as the outward expression of inner faith. The word doesn't allow you to disconnect the two. When the English translates with speak or confess, it doesn't quite catch this deeper nuance. We'll see it again in verse 3 in the negative. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. The one who does not confess, here's some Greek, ho me homologe. It's not just a person who doesn't verbally confess Jesus in the same way that a true confessor isn't just confessing with their words. This person rebels in heart and mind against God's Son, Jesus Christ, because the truth isn't in them to confess. And in addition to that, the specific way that that little phrase is stated in the negative in the Greek reinforces this deeper aspect of confession. This is a little bit technical, but it's very short, and I think you can follow There's two ways in the Greek to express the negative, not, that's here. One is the word u, and it's more common, and the other is me, the one that's in our phrase. Thomas, again, observes that John chose this word very carefully to quote him 
He says John's use of the Greek may instead of u indicates that the character of the Spirit that makes this denial is one of opposition to and contradiction of the confession. So the word confess itself plus the use of may makes it very clear that this person inwardly denies to confess Jesus Christ. This isn't just an act of lips and tongue. It's the mouth confessing what the heart and the mind also confess. And because of that, just judging the words that a man speaks may not be enough. You can fake words. So what we need to do is see if the man's character, as seen through his actions of obedience and love, align with what he proclaims. Now, John has already drilled into us the testing for character in chapters 2 and 3. He contrasted the disobedience of the world with the obedience of Christians because that reveals the inner man's heart, whether they're genuine or whether they're not. It's important to remember, too, that those who had separated from this church that John was writing to did not believe Jesus had come in the flesh as the God-man who was fully God and fully man. Specifically, they didn't believe this. And this is why John started his letter the way he did, to remind these confused but beloved children of God that the answer that one gives to this question was determinative of whether one was a true child of God or one of the pretenders who had left them. Let's look at that. And as we read the first three verses of the letter, note the emphasis on the true nature of Jesus in John's words. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Did you hear the emphasis on the humanity of Jesus We heard him speak with our ears. We beheld him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. He was in the flesh just as any other man. Except, of course, he was the God-man. And we also see in John's words divine attributes of Jesus. He's the very eternal embodied word of life. John understood Jesus is life. He was in the beginning with God. Indeed, he was God. The importance of this to our understanding of Jesus can't be overemphasized. Because you either believe in this Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or you don't believe in Jesus at all. So what a person confesses about who God's Son, Jesus Christ, is, is the first and primary thing to test and discern.
Let's talk for a second about who these spirits are. Are we talking about demons? Are we talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirits of men, the spirit of Antichrist? Well, let's clarify. These spirits that confess Jesus or, or don't are individual spirits of men. Prophets in verse 1 are human spirits. Not many people hear directly from demons, thankfully, especially not Christians. So it's pretty clear that these confessing spirits here are referring to human spirits. But also, we see a human spirit's confession associating him with either the Holy Spirit or the spirit of Antichrist. Human spirits and the associated Holy Spirit or demonic spirits that influence them are both in view here in the same sense as in Romans 8.16, which we looked at last time when we were talking about the conscience. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. See, human spirits are either accompanied by the indwelling Holy Spirit and confess Jesus Christ, or they associate with deceptive doctrines of demons and abide in the world as enemies of God. And they can do that without believing in demons. The deceptive doctrines find their source in demonic influences, but it is men who embrace them, who speak them, who teach them, who live out their lives, their daily lives according to them. So the question here is whether the spirit of a man reflects the spirit of Christ or the spirit of Antichrist. Now, we're not going to dive into the doctrine of the Antichrist today. We might do that another time. I'm going to tell you what you need to know about this passage. All of these lying false doctrines are to be found in the world. And they're here described as a whole as the spirit of Antichrist because they all oppose Jesus Christ by lying about him. All of these other systems of belief, whether they're organized or not, defy Jesus Christ. They stand against him and they oppose the truth claims that he makes as the creator of the universe. And the world's false doctrines produce this spirit of Antichrist that is already in the world, which the coming Antichrist, the person, will fully and bodily represent in opposition to Jesus. There's one more thing here before we move on. Look again at verse 2 that starts, by this you know. Now this is an interesting little detail, but I think it's meaningful. The way it reads in your translation, I believe, it sounds like the indicative mood, as in, you already know this. But some scholars, like Thomas, in fact, interpret this as being imperative. And the Greek accepts that, as in commanding you to know. In other words, know the Spirit of God by discerning this way. 
there are good arguments for both interpretations, and you can't fall off the edge by going with either one, but I like the imperative because it doesn't allow for passive complacency. Instead, it commands, be discerning. And the effect, I think, is instead of reading it complacently as if, well, I already know, so why concern myself too much with this? It instead calls you to diligent action. And that is appropriate. That's what John is calling us to. Don't believe every spirit. Discriminate. Test their words against Scripture. But also, consider the character behind the words. Know the difference between who you are as a new reborn, new creature in Christ and who they are that remain of the world and in the spirit of Antichrist. And keep them clear in your thinking at all times. Verses 4 and 5. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world hears them. You are unlike the world. You have overcome and stand above all worldly demonic deceptions that are constantly trying to distract you. You have the truth. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you who leads and guides you into all the truth, helping you to understand God's word accurately and giving you the ability, should you choose to take the responsibility that you're commanded to, the ability to discriminate. That doesn't mean you always do. You are susceptible but you are fully equipped not to have to take the bait. One word is translated, you have overcome. And it's the word, nenekekate. It's a tongue twister. From the verb nekao, which is much easier. The meaning is what's important. It means to win in the face of obstacles. To be victor, conquer, overcome, prevail, to overcome someone, vanquish, to surpass in ability, outstrip, excel. This is you, and this is a really encouraging word. And the perfect tense used here indicates a past victory that continues in the present. What that means for you is at some point in the past, you put your faith in Christ. And as a result, you have an ongoing status, a position as an overcomer. That's you. He who is in the world refers to the ultimate source of the Antichrist spirit, Satan. In Christ, this says you have overcome them, the human spirits who proliferate deceptive doctrines, and him, meaning Satan, who stands behind the curtain of all those lies. And you have the ability to spot and reject 
his deceptions. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than anything Satan and his demons and his human minions can throw at you. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you is the truth. And when lies run headlong into the truth, the truth always ultimately wins. Because God is truth. And nothing can change or overpower or overcome God. The Spirit of God is in you. So you can't be overcome as long as you stand fast, choose to trust in God, abide in Him, and not in some other spirit, some other idol. In Christ, you surpass their ability to deceive you. You outstrip their powerful influences over you. You excel those of the world because you understand and live in accordance with the truth, living in faith and obedience to God's word. And even if you do stumble, and you do, you confess and repent, and God has promised to restore you, never for one moment letting you go from his sure hands. By contrast, who are they? There is no neutral ground. You are either of God or you are of the world. You are either a regenerated new creature, a child of God made to be at peace with God, destined to be with God throughout eternity, or you're still dead in your sins. An enemy of God, whom God will judge for that sin. All such will be separated from God for eternity to abide in the lake of fire with Satan and his demons. I don't even like saying that, but God's word requires me to because that is the reality. And you th- if you think it's loving and good not to preach on what that is, you're wrong. People need to know the truth of that. They are slaves to this world. They don't understand the truth. They don't live in accordance with it. Think how profound is their dilemma. It should motivate us to reach as many with the gospel of Christ as we can. Without it, all they have is lies to guide them. The best they can do is to select from all the limitless universe of lies and assemble their truth, my truth, out of the ones that they seem to like best. Being lost is to be profoundly lost. When it comes to matters of the spiritual, like the meaning and the purpose of life and what it means to bear the image of God, the impacts of sin... The lost can only believe and perpetuate ideas about the nature of life and eternity from the market of lies. They can only speak what they know. The Greek word here translated speak is another another careful word choice by John. And it is not at all complimentary. 
He could have used the other word that's translated speak, lego, but instead he used laleo. Now, lego implies speaking from rational, true thought, expressing what is within oneself, true things. But laleo? Laleo implies that all they can do is make sounds. All they can do is speak gibberish, disconnected from any true and rational thought. They are likened to parrots who mimic the sounds but whose minds are completely disconnected from any comprehension of the true meaning of the sounds that they make. They speak lies and hear lies because they put themselves in an echo chamber where that's all there is. You can't filter corrupt water with an already corrupted filtering system and expect anything but corrupt water to come out the other end of that process. Which is why God has to reach down and save. Because we're not equipped. We don't have the tools. We don't have it. Well, instead of more metaphors, let's just go to some scripture. Um, I have this labeled 2 Corinthians, I think. I've written down 1 Corinthians, and frankly, in the moment, I don't know which one it is. Um, Corinthians 2, 10 through 16, one of those. This reinforces everything that we're talking about. But to us, God revealed them, the truth, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the depths of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the depths of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God, of which depths we also speak lego. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual depths with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Did you read all that? Thank you, Dave. You are quite privileged as a beloved child of God. You are gifted with an ability the world does not have. You truly possess a a superpower. Through His Word and His Spirit in you, you have access to the mind of Christ. Don't take that for granted. You're rare. Employ it. Let's move on to verse 6. We are from God. The one who knows God hears us. The one who is not from God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
Who are we and us? Well, some people think this is referring only to the apostles, but there's really no reason to restrict this to the apostles alone, though they are certainly included, because all Christians are from God, and all Christians are called to proclaim the truth, so that when we speak according to the truth, other believers hear and understand and agree. But to the world, the truth is nonsense, foolishness. So they reject the truth that we speak. And this is the final test of our passage. Who hears God's word? The truth proclaimed. And who rejects it? By this we know the nature of their spirit, whether it is of God or if it is of the world. Being lost is to be profoundly lost. Being found is to be profoundly found. Christian, you are truly no longer of this world. You have a new well to drink from and a new power to draw it. The pure water of the truth. It is clean and pure and true and powerful. It has power to save from God's wrath. It puts death to death and it brings eternal life. It destroys the strongholds of the world's lies that have the world in its grasp. You have this new superpower enabling you to filter from the market of words and ideas to purge out all that is corrupt and affirm what is pure. If you're a Christian and you're not very discerning, be training yourself in God's word. Be in it regularly. Lean on your pastors and other teachers who faithfully teach the word. You young people, lean on your parents. They're a gift from God for your protection and training. Remember, they have a superpower that few in this world possess. Listen to them. As the wisdom of Proverbs says, they are God's frontline agents for your protection and instruction. Because To fall to the world's deceptions is eternally deadly. The same way it was in the Garden of Eden, which marked mankind's fall into sin. A deceiving spirit asked, Has God really said? It isn't true. God is selfishly deceiving you to prevent you from being a God like Him. This temptation sets you up to number one, distrust God, and number two, to seek meaning and fulfillment somewhere else. And if you're seeking that somewhere else, Satan has provided it. Whatever it is, he's got plenty of idols for you to grab a hold of, but all of his side roads fail to fulfill and instead destroy as they did in the Garden of Eden. That original lie is the root of all lies. Our culture is constantly lying. You can define what 
good and true and beautiful is for yourself. You don't need God to tell you. That Christian stuff, it's, it's oppressive. It's patriarchal. It's keeping you from the true joy of discovering your genuine, authentic self. Any of that sound familiar? Heard anything like that recently? Same old lie at its roots. And what follows it is the same old unhappiness and ultimately the destruction of your soul awaits at the end of that path. Times are getting increasingly evil, though the world thinks it's all good. This is progress. Don't believe the lies. Learn and know God's word so that you can test and discriminate. Know who you are and rely on the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And recognize your enemy and how he uses the spirit of the world to deceive you. But you have overcome. What a profound gift God has blessed his beloved children with. This superpower of knowing and discerning the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call us your beloved children and that you have gifted us with your spirit to guide us in the truth and empower us to overcome. We thank you for the instruction and reminders from your word as we enjoy your many blessings in this world. Father, keep us from falling to its temptations. Help us to be diligent in equipping ourselves and one another to carry out your work in a world that hates you and hates those who declare your name in it. Teach us wisdom and discernment so that we can stand firm and walk straight and not grow weary in a manner that pleases you. Empower us with the truth and the courage to take that truth to a lost world, even though so much of that world is hostile to to the truth. Help us to keep our eyes on the big picture for the purpose of our lives and the prize that awaits us and not be distracted and deceived by the allurements of the enemy. Forgive us our weakness and our failures as we forgive and bear with our brothers and sisters in the same way because we know our sins are many. We commit ourselves to you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.